Grant to begin a series this morning from the book of Romans. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to the book of Romans and put a marker there, we'll be coming back to this book every Sunday until we finish through it, Lord willing. We may take it in steps of, man, there's that fool again. Just something my nose just started itching like crazy all of a sudden. Try another drink of water, maybe that'll work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, that's good. We may take it one verse, one word, one section. It just depends on how the Lord leads us. We're going to do the same thing like we did through the book of Mark. Just, just go through and see where the Lord leads us and, and where he wants us to see and, and so on and so on. Now, the book of Romans... This is considered study number one, and we'll be considering verses one through six this morning. We may come back to verse one or verse two or verse three in next week, I can't tell you, until we get a little bit further down. So this book of Romans is considered to be, by many, to be the most profound piece of literature in existence. It is without a question an epistle of pure gold from beginning to end. It has powerfully influenced and altered the lives of countless men and women for nearly 2,000 years. John Calvin said this about it. When anyone gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures of Scripture. Now, that was a, I introduced you to this book by a quotation from Don Porter. That was from Don Porter. This book reveals every essential aspect of gospel doctrine. In the first chapter, Paul clearly defines the gospel. Remember, there is but one gospel. Look over, hold your place here in Romans, and let's turn over to Galatians, just a, a couple of books over to the right, just before Ephesians, Galatians chapter 1. There is only one, one gospel. There are many out there who say they have the gospel. Here's Here's their gospel. Here's the good news. Jesus is trying to save you. Jesus wants to... I saw this on the internet the other day. I, I wanted to throw something at my computer when I saw this. Jesus wants to be your BFF, your best friend or whatever that means. Jesus wants. This is their gospel. Their gospel is there's a, there's a creator out there who's done everything he can, and he's waiting for you. Just Would you please just let Jesus into your life? Would you please, you know, if you want to, I'll tell you, I'll, this is how you do it. You come down here to the front of the church, and we'll, we'll put hands on you and make you feel good. You'll, you'll experience something. You'll have, you'll have such a feeling of euphoria. Folks, that's not a gospel. That's putting your that's putting your what you think is good news trusting in what you do. Have you ever heard of a sinner trusting in himself? I've heard of people who are self-righteous trusting in what they do. But a true sinner, one who has had the revelation of the depth of our depravity, one who is 
brought to an understanding of what we are before a thrice holy God, we know there's no confidence in what we stand in. We know, don't we? We see now because we were blind before. We, we thought we were pretty righteous, just like the world goes about thinking they're, they're righteous. There's only one gospel, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's called God's gospel. Listen to the words here in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I marvel, writes Paul to the Galatians, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and unto and unto, what's he say there? Another, a different gospel. Then he goes on in verse 7 to tell us the very same thing I just told you a moment ago, which is not another gospel. How can you say it's good news to save yourself? How can you say it's good news to build yourself up, pump you up? It's not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. They'll take the gospel of Christ, the good news of God Almighty, the good news that Jesus has mercy upon whom he will have mercy. They take that good news, and they want to add something they did to it. They want to add a little leaven to the bread. What does scripture tell us about a little bit of leaven? It ruins a whole lump, doesn't it? You take just a little bit of works and you try to mix it with grace and it tears, it just throws grace right out the window. Verse 8, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we preached unto you, let him be accursed. I was telling these young men that are coming to visit with us, telling him, I said, you know, I don't take this lightly calling upon you. I, I, first off, I, I, I expressed him very much and thankful how Kathy and I are, that they're willing and that they are able to come and fill this pulpit. I, I expressed to him, I don't take this lightly at all. I, I'm not going to let somebody who has only preached once get up in this pulpit and preach Christ to you. I need, to, I need to know that they have a little bit of experience. I need to know that what they're going to preach is the gospel of God, not another gospel. And I know that we, I know that we can't see all things. We, we thought we had a man here who would preach the gospel. We sat under him preaching for five years, and it turned out it wasn't so. But still, we do the best we can. Let them be accursed, verse 9 says, and we said before, so say I now, that if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now back in our text in Romans chapter 1. This is exactly what Paul is addressing right from the start. Look with me, if you would, in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto what? Did you notice it doesn't say a gospel? Did you notice the words there? 
separated unto the. The. That means there's only one. The gospel of God. Paul declares himself a servant to Christ. He no longer serves the religion. Remember there was a religion that he served once before. And he did it pretty well. He did it pretty well. He was, he was quite the Pharisee. He was so good at it that the, the head of the church gave him papers to go out and persecute those who claim to be Christians. Go out and take... Mike and I were talking about this a little bit ago. Think about this for just a moment. Let's say you had a chance to sit down with the Pope of Rome, right? Next, right in front of each other. Sit down and talk to each other. And you told that Pope, that man who studies the Bible over and over and over again and still can't see the grace of God in it. You know he studied. You know he sat there in that little dark room and just studied the word of God over and over and over again. And if you were to sit there in a room and tell him face to face, you're going to hell because you are, are, are delivering another gospel, he would get mad at you, wouldn't he? Can you blame those religious Pharisees for getting mad at Jesus? He wasn't, he wasn't messing around trying to, well, maybe this, no. He plainly told them. He plainly told them, you don't believe. You're not my sheep. Isn't that what he said to them? He said, my sheep hear my voice. That's what he said. If you were a very religious person and you thought so much of yourself, wouldn't you be a little angry about that? Paul declares him now to himself now to be a servant of Christ, the very ones, the very along with the very ones that he persecuted. He no longer served the religion. He serves Christ. He was separated from the religion by the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace, wasn't he? The New Testament does not reveal a gospel, folks. It reveals the gospel, God's gospel. We have here the gospel defined by uh, what we have here. We have here a gospel defined by a man writing under the divine inspiration of God Almighty. And anything else, any other definitions, any other descriptions of a gospel given by men must be judged by the light of what we see right here. You want, to, you want to judge the gospel? You want to determine if a man is speaking about the gospel? Is he speaking about God or is he speaking about men? Is he speaking about what God has done or is he speaking about what men can do? Look with me, if you would, through verse 6 of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Welcome. Good to have you with us this morning. We're in Romans chapter 1 beginning today with the first study of the gospel. Read with me, if you would, verse 6. through uh, one, read, verse, read through to verse 6. We already read verse 1. We'll begin at verse 2. Which he, he was separated under the gospel, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. God Almighty promised this gospel through all the Old Testament. Verse 3, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which has was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship 
for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ. There you go. We're going to look at these words this morning a little briefly. The gospel is of God, as we read in verse 1. It is defined here as the gospel of God, and I want to give you four reasons why it's the gospel of God. Number one, God's the author of it. It's not something of man's imagination. God is the author of his gospel. The covenant that was made between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit was before anything ever was created. All of creation is, the, is part of the gospel of God. It's the good news. Men who will become sinners shall be saved by Jesus Christ the Lord, his son. Jesus will become a man. And this, this is that gospel. The God is the subject of it. Jesus Christ, God Almighty in the flesh, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in him. He is the subject of the gospel. It's not a gospel of what men can do. It's not a gospel about man. It's a gospel of what Christ has done. Thirdly, God is the revealer of it. Isn't that what we read in the book of John? How do you call me the son of uh, the living God? Well, flesh and blood hath not revealed that to us, has it, Polly? God the Father is the one who must reveal his gospel. We can't learn it. I just said a moment ago. The Pope can read in the Bible all year long for the rest of his life. But unless the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to his heart, he will never see the gospel. The gospel of God's free and sovereign grace. And then fourthly, fourthly, God is the executor of it. Turn over to Ephesians with me, if you would. Ephesians chapter 1. That's right after Galatians. God is the executor of his gospel. In Ephesians chapter 1, We begin reading at verse 3. Now I want to tell you, this is the gospel in these verses, complete and thorough, all the way through it. And I want you to point out something to me if you can. Feel free to interrupt me. Raise your hand if you'd like. When you see man's heart in the gospel. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who? Who? God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4. According as he, Christ, God, hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of his glory. Now the gospel we believe and preach was promised before by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is the everlasting gospel. It, is, it, is, it was conceived in the heart of God from all eternity past. It was ordained before the world was, and it was hid in Christ, the wisdom of God, from the very beginning. You can read that in Proverbs 8. It was, healed, it was revealed to the people of God and promised by the prophets in pictures and in types and in ceremonies in the Old Testament. Listen to the words of Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. It was the prophets. It was the prophets who set up the old ceremonies. The old types, were they were used as the types of Christ. Pictures of our Lord, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hath in these, the, this one who had in diverse manners spake in times past by the fathers by the prophets, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Now God's gospel was manifested in time by the coming of our Lord. Turn over to 2 Timothy uh, to the right, if you would, just before Hebrews. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse uh, or chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 9, who hath saved us, speaking of our Lord and Savior, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus before the world began. Here we go. This is the gospel that was set up before the world began. This is God's gospel. Verse 10, but is now made manifest. Now it's made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life. Here's the gospel. Our Lord abolished death and hath brought life, our life, and our immortality to life through the what? good news through God's gospel. This gospel is concerning his son. That's what we read in verse 3. The gospel of God, let's read that again, verse 3, back in our text of uh, Romans chapter 1. Concerning his son, 
Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh. This is the, this is the one that was promised before by the prophets, the gospel of God. The gospel of God is all about Christ. It's not about baptism. It's not about morality. It's not about religious reformation or ritualism of any kind. The gospel is all about our Savior Christ Jesus. This is why Paul said, let me, I, I wish to know nothing of you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't want to know about all your good works, Paulie. I want to know what Christ has done for you. I want to know whether he do that for me. This is the good news because I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. The gospel is all about Christ. Christ is expressed in the solitary object of it. In fact, Christ is the gospel. The gospel concerns his person and his work. The whole gospel is found in Christ. And if man removes one step, if you try to take over one step, now that's called mixing works with grace. If you try to mix any works with the bread of life, you've ruined the whole lump. It's all about Christ, who was declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. That's what we read in verse 4. Be, be sure you get this, folks. Christ became a man. He became the seed of David, as we read uh, as we can read about in Galatians 4.4 4, if you would, but he was not made the son of God. He was made the son of David, but he was not made the son of God. He has always been the son of God. He was declared to be the son of God in John 10 verse 30. Turn over and look at that real quick if you would. John chapter 10 verse 30. And we won't be much longer here. I apologize for going a little long this morning. John chapter 10 verse 30. I and my Father are one. He is declared to be the Son of God with power, and you can read about that in Hebrews chapter 1 or Matthew chapter 28. He is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by whom he is justified when he was raised, when, when, he, when God raised him from the dead. That's in 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. He was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead, and it is upon this great fact, this great fact, his resurrection, of his resurrection from the dead, that he, that the whole gospel rests upon. Look over at 1 Corinthians, just the other side of Romans, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. We're going to read a couple of verses there in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. chapter 15 beginning at verse 12 now if Christ be preached that he arose from the dead that he rose from the dead how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead but if there be no resurrection of the dead then Christ is not risen then is Christ not risen and if Christ be not risen 
then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain? Yea, and we are faith found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then by they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Our Lord's resurrection from the dead declares visibly and undeniably that he is all that he claimed to be. It is, it is the acceptance of God that the, that the uh, uh, sacrifice was accepting to our Lord. His resurrection is the declaration of our justification. We can read about that in Romans chapter 4, also in Romans chapter 5. We'll get to those in deeper thought in another time. And his resurrection from the dead is a guarantee of ours. Now lastly, Paul tells us in verses 5 and 6 that it is in Christ and by the gospel of Christ that we receive grace unto the obedience of faith being called of God by the irresistible grace and power of his spirit. It is against this backdrop that Paul declares in verses 15 and 17 of this very same chapter. You can look at it if you'd like with me over verse 15 and 17 of chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. Verse 15, and we'll look at this a little deeper too at another, at another study. So as much as in me, as I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Folks, I never get tired about talking about it. I never get tired about hearing about it. I've heard six different messages this week on sermon audio, and every one of them, guess what it was? About Christ. That blesses my heart. Is there more to the scriptures than that? No. Christ is all of the scriptures. I'm not ashamed, writes Paul, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. What? What is it in? It's in the gospel of Christ. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now the word of gospel, the word gospel means this, good news. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's gospel, is good news indeed to a sinner. Because I am a sinner, revealed to me by God, I am not ashamed to proclaim his gospel to whom he will bring. Brother Michael, 